Wonderful. Well, it is great to see so many of you here. There's lots of seats near the front. That is where the blessing is. So do come, come forward and fill up these seats. Um, wonderful to see so many of you. Um, as Caroline said, I'm UK Director at Care for the Family. And if you haven't ventured to our stand yet in the exhibition area, do go and have a look. We've got so many resources that we'd love to uh, you to find out about that will help you um, in your family life. Things to do with marriage. We're going to be talking about marriage here tomorrow. Uh, lots of different things to do with parenting and bereavement. Those who have lost a child, those who um, have been widowed young. And we just want to come alongside and support families. So do come and see us um, with that. So I just wonder who you are here this morning. I'm, I'm Catherine. We have four children. They're grown now. Um, but just put up a hand if you have teenagers. Loads of you. Brilliant. Then what about um, uh, primary, primary age? And then really little ones, preschool. And some of you, I think, have put your hand up for all of those. So you deserve a medal. That is brilliant. Um, so I have, yeah, four children. Uh, oldest is 29, youngest is 21. And I am still, we are still standing. Um, but we'll be all kinds of parents here, won't we? There'll be those of us that are parenting, we're married, we're parenting um, with our husband or wife. There will be those of us who are parenting as single parents. There may be those that are co-parenting. So you're living in different homes and you're trying to juggle how to parent together. There will be adopted parents. There will be grandparents. There will be those of you who are foster all kinds of parents and some of you will be loving being a parent just at the moment it's absolutely great it's all going wonderfully and for others of you you'll be going through a more difficult time right now and we all go through those different times and then there will be different children amongst us as well some will be testing you to the limit Others will be compliant and doing exactly what the textbook uh, tells you that they should be doing just at that moment. Probably, probably not many of those, but they do exist. And with our four, we've had our fair share of both. And when things were going well, I was tempted to think that that was due to my own completely brilliant parenting. And I think many of us, when it's going well, that's what we do. We think we must be doing the right thing because the children seem to be uh, doing what, they, what we expected them to do. And then the converse happens. And when things are tough, and particularly in the teenage years, those, things can, those times can come to us all. We feel guilty and we then think it's all our fault and we must be rubbish parents because we're doing uh, the wrong thing. We want to begin just by saying neither of those things are true. Of course, we're tempted to think it's our brilliant parenting if they're great. And of course, we're tempted to think it's all our fault when things are going, are going not so well. But if you only take one thing away from today, it's this. Don't take all the credit, but don't take all the blame either. We're all doing our, the best we can, and we have a God who loves us, who knows, who is our parent to help us on that, on that journey. And it is a roller coaster ride bringing up the next generation. Now, a while ago, I was at home, and I was sitting in my car outside a little preschool, and a guy was coming towards me down the pavement. He was in his 30s. He looked as if he had it all together. And he was holding the hand of a little girl who was three, probably four, maybe four years old. And they walked towards me down the pavement. 
And then they turned and they started going down the path uh, towards this preschool. Halfway down the path, he bent down and he whispered something in her ear. It dawned on me, this was her first day at school. And they got up to the door and I don't know who was more reluctant to let go, but eventually she let go, she held the teacher's hand and in she went, this new season of family life. And I saw him just do a little little wave and blow a kiss at the closed door. And then I saw him and he moved along and he looked in through the window until he caught her eye and he gave a little smile and a wave and then he turned around and walked back down the path towards me. And that's when I saw him just brush away a tear. And in that moment, I wanted to jump out of the car and I wanted to say two things to him. Firstly, I wanted to say he wouldn't be the only parent that morning to be shedding a little tear because his little girl was going to a new season of family life. Something they hadn't done before. It can be hard. But more importantly, I wanted to say to him, this would not be the last day either that he would go through that little sequence of emotions. The smile, the wave, and then the tear. The smile, the celebrations of family life. There are so many things that we have over the course of parenting that we can celebrate. Anniversaries, birthdays, celebrations. My dad was 100 two weeks ago. How is that? And uh, he, we had a great celebration um, for that. There's the wave. We'll all come to those moments when we have a new season approaching Maybe it's their first day at school, secondary school, um, traveling, university, jobs, whatever it is. It's hard for us as parents to, to let them go. But more than anything, we will all have those moments of the tear. The times when family life just hasn't turned out like we thought it, it would. Times of pain, times of disappointment. And that is the task of parenting, to come alongside our children through those different seasons, those different experiences. But riding like a coach and horses right through all those times is the digital age and how we navigate that. And that is what we're going to be um, focusing on this morning. Guys, there's seats down here. Do, do come forward. There's lots just on the front. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And God has given us this incredible task of seeing our children um, through those seasons. It's the issue, I think, the digital age, is the issue that most parents have written to us about, asked us about recently at Care for the Family. And that's what um, prompted me to write my latest book, which is called Left to Their Own Devices, Confident Parenting in a World of Screens. We can't possibly, in the hour that we have together, deal with everything, all the issues. And there are so many issues that we want to be looking at. So um, if you want to find out more, just go and grab this from the exhibition area. There's some fun cartoons in it as well. And I'll be at the exhibition area at the Care for the Family stand um, tomorrow after the main Bible reading. So if you would like one signed, I'm really happy um, to do that then. So that's left to their own devices, confident parenting in a world of screens. Now, you may have some sympathy with the parent who wrote to us at Care for the Family and said this. She said, it just gets harder and harder. I wish the iPhone had never been created. But it has, and it's here to stay, and we live in a digital age. 
And there are some challenges, but the first thing to say is there are some incredible advantages as well. So we're not, this isn't about being Luddites and saying that, you know, we're not going to have anything to do with it. There's some incredible opportunities that come with the digital age. Learning used to be limited to parents who had books in the home. And now children, whatever age and stage, swipe of the screen, um, they can find out anything. As parents helping with homework, we don't have to trawl through great encyclopedias to discover the date of the Battle of Hastings or the reproductive cycle of the dragonfly or whatever other useful bit of information um, that that we need to find. We can build huge networks of friends. We can keep in touch with friends, family, really across the world. We can keep in relationship with Those of you who have teenagers, the digital age brilliantly meets our teenagers' need for connection and their need to build an identity away from us, um, their parents. It makes the process a whole lot easier. Instead of little scrubby notes passed down the geography lesson, you can just send a text to say to someone, do you want to meet up for a coffee or whatever? Helps them. They can stay cool as they do that. There are massive advantages for parents of children with additional needs and for those children themselves. And if you have a child with additional needs, do come and look at our stand because we offer incredible um, support in that really difficult task. But this is a guy called Kyle, and this is him speaking about the advantage of social media to him. He suffers from Asperger's syndrome. And he says this, it's basically just the fact you don't have to have a person staring back at you with what you're saying. Two to three years ago, and I wasn't able to talk to people face to face. Like this right now, I wouldn't have been able to explain anything. I would have been all shy and weird looking. And his mum said the incredible confidence that it's given him in reaching out and making um, connections. Our children are grown now, but we have, in fact, um, well, we have four aged between three boys and a girl between 29 and 22. Three got married in the last 13-month period, so we're also now very poor. Fun as that was. But um, we have a family WhatsApp system uh, uh, and um, a family WhatsApp group. And I know more about what our kids are doing now, which isn't always a good thing, I have to say, than ever when we were under the same roof. It's just aided that communication. Um, If you have an iPhone, your Finders app, if your children are slightly older, um, they might consent to uh, you following them on the Finders app. They probably won't in the middle of the teenage years. But ours now, that's been brilliant. So our youngest has been cycling across Italy by himself. And it's been brilliant most of the time to be able to track his progress. There was one day when it just said location not available for about three days. And then you're left wondering, well, has he gone under a lorry or is he just not got his phone on? He just didn't have his phone on. But all kinds of advantages. But really today we want to look at some of the dangers and what we can do as parents to equip our children to manage this well. And there are some big dangers. From the day our children take those first little tottering steps, our job as parents is to keep them safe. Uh, We want to wrap them in cotton wool. We don't want them to learn lessons the hard way. We don't want them to come to harm. We teach them life skills. We teach them how to tie up their shoelaces. We teach them how to swim. We teach them how to cross the road. We teach them how to keep themselves safe. And we know how to tie up shoelaces, and we know how to cross a road. We've done that ourselves. 
We want to keep them safe in the digital world. But the difficulty is here, very often, they know more um, than we do. And here's a clip. This is from um, the uh, it's an advert for Virgin Media. I am the master of entertainment. I know how to control your TV. I know which remote controls which box. I know how to cast box sets from the tablet. I'm the only one who can find that episode you missed. I knew how to connect the laptop to the TV. I know that season two isn't in the same place as season three. And there's other shows on this and also on this. We are the masters of entertainment because we are seven. You are not. You need help. Virgin TV is here. We are seven. You are not. You need help. So many of our children know more about the internet, about how to manage digital media uh, than we do. And so we feel that we're on the back foot and we feel that we're not able to teach them. But that is just not true. As parents, we have so much that we can, so much wisdom um, to offer them. And that's what we're going to be looking at. There's Researchers have come across two terms. Um, One is a digital visitor and the other is a digital resident. Now, this is about how we use technology. So digital visitors, I would be a digital visitor because I go onto the internet to do a task. I use it as a tool. So I will go on to do my uh, grocery order and then I'll come off. Or I'll go on to check my emails or, and then I'll come off. Or I might even go on to um, Facebook and then come off. So I use it to go on and off to achieve a task. I'm a digital visitor. But there are another load of people, and our children will be those people who are what's known as digital residents. They live their lives online. They see the online world as an integrated part of their lives. They just use it all the time for their networking, for their communication, for life. They don't see that divide. Now, hopefully, most of us in this room, I imagine, will tend to be digital visitors. But what we don't need to do is suddenly mug up on um, texting shorthand and learn how to do all this stuff and become digital uh, residents. So I don't know how au fait you are with digital shorthand. Do you know what LOL means? Exactly. I thought it was lots of love. I kept putting it on text. My children were, uh, until they had to tell me. What about PCM? Please call me. Please call me. And this is one you definitely need to know. P-O-S. Anyone know that? Parent over shoulder. You now know. (laughs) We don't need to be cool. We don't need to learn all this stuff. But we do. There are some things we do absolutely uh, need to know. And there are parenting principles we can put into practice that are well within our reach that will enable us, our children, to make the most of the digital world, but also will um, protect them. So let's look now at some of the challenges. First challenge would be that of the simply the sheer amount of time spent on screens. Now, Eric Schmidt was the head of Google, and he said this, if you have a child, you will notice they have two states, asleep or online. And those of you with teenagers may recognize that. 
Many, many parents are concerned about the sheer number of hours that young people are spent glued to a screen. And it begins when they are really small. Over half of preschoolers own a tablet. And in fact, a colleague at Care for the Family has an 18-month-year-old granddaughter and she toddled over to the television recently and swiped it furiously because she'd learned already that if you swipe a screen, something exciting happens. Uh, over 80% of 12 to 15-year-olds now own a smartphone and the internet has just taken over the television in terms of the um, preferred uh, use of what, what we're using in our um, leisure time. We're, we're looking at stuff on the internet more than we're looking at TV. So whether it is a three-year-old who's having what's now known as an iPaddy um, on being told that tablet time is over... Or whether it's your teenager and it feels like their uh, headphones are attached as an appendage to their head, that their, their phone needs to be surgically removed um, from their hand. Many parents are feeling that they're continually on their kids' backs over this issue of screen time. And it's become a bit of a, bit of a battleground in the home. When ours were younger, uh, I remember our oldest had a game called Zelda and it had a really, really annoying little catchy tune and he would always try and play it um, just before we were about to have something to eat in the evening. And I would say, come on, the food's on the table. Oh, just one more minute, just two more minutes. Um, if I don't do this bit, I won't be able to save it and then I'll lose everything I've done before. Um, just another minute. I'd like to tell you that we sorted that and we had an easy, foolproof method of um, resolving that issue. We didn't, and it was this continual thing in the home. I'm sure there are things I could have done with the benefit of hindsight um, to manage that better. But researchers, psychologists have been employed to design games that mean that it's always going to be much more exciting to get to the next level, to achieve the next thing, um, rather than come and sit at and eat the now cold spaghetti bolognese or whatever it is um, that is on the family table. So the effects of time on stressed out parents. But there are some other issues about uh, the time as well. So Glowing screens late at night are disrupting children's sleep patterns. My daughter-in-law is a teacher and she says many children are coming to school in the morning really tired because they've been uh, checking their phones late at night. And in fact, I read some research recently that said that some teenagers are actually setting an alarm for the middle of the night to check their social media because they're frightened of missing out. It's this thing called FOMO, fear of missing out. They want to make sure that they're at the forefront of what is going on. Obesity is a complex problem and there are many, many reasons for it. But sedentary lifestyle, sitting in front of screens rather than racing around outside, that's got to have something to do with it as well. And then we won't go into this today, but if you want, again, if you want to have a look in the book, the whole issue of internet addiction. So when do you, when does a child just tip from um, normal teenage screen use over into actually it being an addiction and needing more professional help. That's some of the challenges. So let's be a bit practical now on this issue and what is it that we can do? So firstly, in relation to time, we need to be intentional. We need to be on the front foot about how much time they are on screens. Uh, there are so many times, particularly when they're younger and in what we used to call the 
happy hour, about 5.30 when they're tired and hungry, screens can be a lifesaver. So we're not saying don't use them at all. They are the best babysitting um, device ever at times, as long as we're in control of when they're used. So how we regulate time, it needs to be appropriate to your family, your children, appropriate to their age. And what is appropriate for um, a 12-year-old is probably not going to be appropriate for a 17-year-old. So we need to manage that. And it's good to involve our children in the discussion about how much screen time uh, they might, we might think is suitable for them. But if we do that, you just need to be prepared for a certain character to enter the discussion as well. And this character is called everybody else's parent. So you will hear everybody else's parent lets them FaceTime their friends until midnight on the night before their GCSE maths exam. Everybody else's parent lets them go on Facebook age nine. Everybody else's parent. We need, we're not our children's best friend. We are their parents. And we need to put the boundaries in place that we know are appropriate for our family and not worry about what other families are doing. Although we'll probably find out that this everyone else's parent is a bit of a figment of the imagination anyway if we talk to other parents. It sometimes means we need to take a hit in the popularity stakes. God has given us this incredible opportunity of being their parents, not their best friends, and boundaries are crucial. Boundaries aren't just about discipline. Boundaries are about security. And if you think about God, how he parents us, he puts boundaries in place for us because he loves us. I mean, this isn't a... This isn't a um, What's it called? A straitjacket, trying to hem our children in. This is a seatbelt um, to keep them to keep them safe. So, be intentional. Second one, understand. If you have teenagers or emerging teens, understand the teenage brain. And this will shed a lot of light on how we manage this area. So in recent years, advances in technology have given us incredible information about the teenage brain. We used to think all the brain development took place um, amongst when they were little in toddlerhood. And that is true. A lot of brain development takes place then. But in that case, the bit of the brain that's developing is about balance and movement. But MRI scanning has shown that masses of development also takes place in the teenage years. But the deal is that there are bits of the brain that don't, take, that don't develop at the same time. And the last bit to develop is this bit at the front, and it's called the prefrontal cortex. That's the bit that enables you to make rational, logical, long-term decisions. That's the bit that enables you to have delayed gratification, to postpone something fun immediately because you know that there's a greater benefit long-term. This bit of the brain simply isn't yet developed in our teens. It's all change in their brains. It's like an extensive rewiring that is going on. Now, that might shed light on the fact that our teenagers simply aren't able to make those logical decisions sometimes. They are on Facebook uh, till midnight, FaceTiming their girlfriend the night before their exam. And when you say, you know, why are you doing that? It's not a sensible thing to do. They say, oh, mom, it's all right. No, the exam's not to the afternoon or whatever else it is. And one mum said this to us. She said, when I discovered about the teenage brain, it was such a relief. She said, I realized it wasn't all my fault, but equally the issues we were having weren't all 
his fault either. Our teenagers are a work in progress. And then thirdly, so be intentional, understand the brain. Remember, we are role models. Uh, we're role models for everything, but particularly in the way that we use technology. So if we are always on our phones, checking our emails, if the first thing we do when we come in the house is check our phones, if we have our phones at the table all the time, they will see that. Have a look at this little sign. This is a genuine sign from a Stockholm, um, uh, it's a Stockholm road sign. And for, if you're listening to this on the recording, it's a, it's a road sign of just two people looking down at their phones. I imagine it's so people don't run them over. I'm not quite sure what, but that's what our children can see. If we're always on our phones, we're not giving them eye contact. Um, that gives a message to them. There's a lot we could say about, about the, uh, how we use technology. And in a sense, I was at a conference last week and one of the main Bible readings, he was talking about the distraction of technology and how the way we use technology is really a spiritual discipline. But certainly it does impact um, our children. We think our children aren't listening to us. We've asked them to hang their coat up, to do whatever we've asked them to do, come to the table for the 20th time. We think they're not listening. The truth is, they don't miss a thing. They don't miss a thing. Uh, we have a course called Parent Talk. It's a parenting course. You can just run by popping a, a DVD in. And if anyone's interested in that, again, come and see us on the, on the stand. But when we were filming that, uh, we talked to a dad. And he told us this story about talking to his, I think he was about nine-year-old son. And the nine-year-old wanted him to go out and kick a football around in the park. And he was going, no, in a minute, in a minute. And he was on his phone. I'm just going to check this. I've just got to do that. Just got to answer this email. In a minute, in a minute. This nine-year-old was getting increasingly uh, frustrated. And eventually he said, you were a nicer dad before you had your iPhone. And this dad said that really struck him. And he really thought, gosh, you know, that is, we are role models to them. Take a little look at this. This is um, a start right advert for some reason um, about what eight-year-olds who my eight dad. years think spend the most time on social um, media? My mum. It's probably my mum because in the morning, when she can't bothered, can't be bothered to watch the TV or get out of bed, she will log on her phone and basically just go onto Facebook. I think he's just texting and googling. I think I'm not sure. He's just on his phone constantly. Well, sometimes I'm like, mummy, mummy, and she doesn't answer. <laughs> she doesn't answer, um, and then I have to say it again sometimes, but some, most of the time I think she does. Um, well, it makes me feel a bit stressed. So say I ask him a question, he would still be on his phone, then, answer, then he would answer me. Um, and then my mum... He, she, she would, she spends all day on her computer, and I feel sad because I wouldn't, I won't get to play with her on a board game or something. Well, it kind of just makes me feel like I don't care about us, cause they're just like I on the phone, and they never want, never want to uh, talk to us. They're not giving me enough attention if they're like, yeah. because half the time they're like texting and I'm like, or like on the phone and I'm like, 
uh, hello, can I, I do this? And then they're just like, in a minute, da 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 da. And then, like, they take about like 10 minutes, and I'm like sitting there bored because they're on their thing doing what they're doing. And then, what about me? I think he's quite a challenge, that little one. <laughs> But I thought that was interesting. Life, let's be realistic. We have to be on our phones. We, well, we don't have to be, but life happens with technology. This is not saying, you know, don't ever use your phone, but let's just think about the message that we're giving our children and how, uh, how far up in our priorities they are if we're always on, uh, on our phones. Okay. And then fourthly, be positive. We can use technology to actually enrich family life. So uh, we heard of a dad and he used to say, kids, get your coats, put your phones away. We're going out for a walk. And they, oh, I can't, oh, I don't want to come. And then they come out and they'd be really grumpy. And he said, they've changed it now. And they say, kids, get your coats, bring your phones and come out for a walk. And then they'd use Instagram, they'd use Snapchat, they'd use the phones to take photos and to just, you know, involved in whatever activity they are doing. So using technology to enrich uh, non-technological non activities um, can be a really good thing. So that is time, time on screens. But as well as that, many parents have um, some other big concerns. And uh, let's have a quick look now at this DVD, which... Um, shows some of the issues really, I think, quite, quite graphically. Let's have a look at this. Schmidt, Peters, Jansen, Hermanns. Is your son home? Yes, he's up in his room. Come in. Hi, is Klausi here? Yeah, upstairs. Well, then, we'll go up and try out some kinky stuff. Yeah, OK. Good location. Is this little Anna? You've got a nice bunny. Come on, I'll show you a real bunny. In real life, you would protect your children. So why not protect them on the internet? It's true, isn't it? There's no way we would allow that kind of stuff in real time in our homes. And yet, sometimes behind the closed bedroom door, that kind of thing is coming into our children's lives. And there are three main areas of concern. And the first one is contact. Who is it that they are speaking to online? So they tell us that they're going out to meet someone, it's all a bit mysterious. We know that uh, the person who says that their 16-year-old Charlie could quite as easily be someone else. They could be 57-year-old Keith or Kevin or whoever. And we need to be aware of that and be talking to our children about that. We need to be concerned. And then the next one is conduct. So maybe they're spending more and more time uh, in their bedroom. Maybe they're becoming a bit more withdrawn. And uh, we're worried maybe that they're being bullied. Or we might worry even more that maybe they are part of uh, bullying somebody else or even acquiescing 
in it. When we were little, the school bully stayed in the school playground at the end of the day. But for our children, the school bully, through social media, through that little phone in their pocket, and the smartphone is what has changed everything in this respect. Through that phone, the bully follows them home. The bully follows them on the school bus. The bully is with them while they eat their, their tea. The bully is with them um, as, they, as they do their homework. And then, ping, under the bed at night, another text comes in. And there really is no escape for them 24-7. Added to this is the selfie culture. This little thing I post, therefore I am. The relentless pressure that our young people have to create an identity online. And in the teenage years, that's what they're wired to do. They're working out uh, who they are. But the pressure is to compare their real life with the on-life identity of all their friends. And most of us and most young people are posting things that aren't the real stuff. It's the edited highlights. It's the show reels. It's where everything looks perfect. It's the filtered photographs. Um, there was a, a pop singer. She, she said, I don't, fo- I don't post um, photographs of me with mascara running down my face after one of my gigs has gone wrong. I just post um, the highlights. And our young people then are under immense pressure to measure their worth by how many likes they have uh, on Facebook, on social media. There was a really shocking thing that happened just this week. And uh, that, again, is, is about the pressure. And it was this sign here. And it says, send me news. It's a neon sign. This is in, was in a shopping center in Manchester. And through an online um, petition by various people, this shop has, sent, has taken that sign down. But this is a shop that markets clothes to young girls, sort of 12, 13-year-old uh, girls. And this kind of thing is there. The pressure on our young people um, is enormous. The mental health stats show that many of our our young people are not doing so well. And we need to be alongside them. And there's so much we can do as parents to help them know who they are, to have confidence in who they are, to know that they have a God that loves them um, as they are. And then the third one, beginning with C, and we'll spend a little bit longer on this, this is content. So this is what they're seeing online, the images that they're seeing online. They're doing their geography homework. You come in the room, they click on a screen, and they go off onto something else, and you're worried. What is it that they have been seeing? Now, this is not to scare you or to be um, yeah, scaremongering, but we do need to be aware of the kind of stuff that is out there. And pornography is rife. The largest consumer of porn, 12 to 17-year-old boys. The average age of first exposure to porn, 11 years old. And many of them not particularly looking for it, but they've innocently put something in the search bar. There aren't the right protections on the computer and this stuff comes at them. There was one story and there's a boy and he's doing a project on London and he just typed in Big Ben on the computer and he didn't get pictures of a clock in London. He got something um, much more scary for him and his mum had to come to the rescue. There was an ex-lad mag editor called Martin Daubney. He is now a dad himself and he's written about this. He's written looking back with regret at his involvement with the porn industry. 
Um, he says he says internet porn has cast its dark shadow over the lives of millions of British teenagers. He said, I used to be skeptical that porn was as damaging a force as the headlines suggest. In the past, I'd even defended pornography in university debates on TV and on radio. I claimed it was our freedom of choice to watch it and it could help adult relationships. But he says now, he says, I now know, um, he'd made a film about it and he says, that has changed my opinion forever. Many young people really think that pornography is how you learn about sex. They have no idea that it's not the real thing. They have no idea that God has created something intimate and uh, loving in the context of commitment. Uh, they're just going to the wrong place to find these things. And it is bombarding our young people with unrealistic images of what a sexual relationship is. It's giving them the message that sex is a performance that's divorced from relationship, divorced from, from faithful commitment, divorced from marriage. Now, this is just really, this isn't to be alarmist. Let's just have our eyes open, though, to those issues. And let's not sleepwalk into a society where porn is the norm uh, for our children. So along with porn, there's also Sexting. Now, sexting is sending um, a sexually explicit image um, online, digitally. Many young people don't know if they're under 18. This is actually a criminal um, offence. Have a listen to this online conversation. So, Alice is 13 and she's in her bedroom and she's on her laptop. She's doing her homework and she's online. Carl is in his home. He's 15. He's doing his homework. Uh, he's online. And he sees that Alice is online. And he, he speaks first. And he says, what's your name? Alice. Oh, hi, Alice. I've seen you on the bus. You're in the year below, aren't you? Yes. Alice, you're very pretty. Thank you. Alice, can you just undo the top three buttons on your shirt? There's a long, long pause. Like this? No, no, a bit more. And so it begins. A recent survey said 37% of young people um, have sent a naked photograph online. Girls are twice as likely to have sent it as boys. And one in four had sent an image um, that was uh, then sent on and on and on again without their consent. And for many young people, it's a precursor for dating. So the guy will ask the girl to send a topless photo, and then he'll look and he'll decide whether to go out with her or not, and, ask, and she may then ask for um, a photo back. The digital world has so much good, but it is fraught with danger. And I was talking to someone just last week who said a lot of the things that are written about this, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, is how we equip girls to say no. But there's a message for boys as well. We want to, as parents, we want to be giving them the same um, idea of their, strong idea of their identity, the same confidence. And we want to break that stereotype. That means that they have to feel the pressure to be macho and to go along with these things. So this is boys and girls. Now, we, the good news now is that as parents, there is so much that we can do. We were in a great place to have these conversations and to be equipping our children. And the first thing that we can do, we can put safety nets, practical safety nets in place to protect them. 
So when, we're li when they're little, we put the knives up high, we put the bleach up high, we put dangerous things out of the way. Now, our youngest is now six foot three, and I realized recently I'm the only one in our home that can no longer reach the knives that are up high. But we do that, don't we? And so we need to be doing the same in technology. So we need to be putting secure passwords and encouraging them with that. We need to be putting parental controls on. We need to put boundaries in the home about where and when technology can be used. And if you want some more information, there's an appendix at the back of this book that's got some links to some great websites that can really help you um, with those very, very important things. One family we know, they have a little rule in the home and they charge all their devices downstairs at night, including uh, the parents. The younger end of the spectrum, these boundaries are absolutely um, vital. Now, many families have something called a family media agreement or a family internet agreement. And it's simply some guidelines in line with your family values that you agree together and that everyone, including parents, signs up to. So um, you might want to get nice you know, snacks and drinks together and get everyone around the table and talk about what are the things in your home that are going to be the boundaries around this area. Now, it's easier the younger they are, but even the most stroppy teenager will probably um, agree to this if they feel they've got a stake in it. Now, if it's possible, we want to try and do this framing what's allowed rather than a list of don'ts. But if we, on the don'ts, it's important to think, well, what are the repercussions if we do, if one of us does cross the line? And with families with a rage, range of ages, which many of us will have, then we need to make adjustments, obviously, um, for their age. Now, this thing, this family media agreement, again, we write about this in the book, it's not a magic bullet, it might be too formal for some, but the key is just sitting down and talking um, about these things. One family said, we have a three-column sheet. Yes, we can. Ask me first. Don't even think about it. It can be as simple as that. You know, time, how many hours a day? Um, are there different rules for when friends come round? Um, what devices can be used when? In bedrooms, at mealtimes. Um, some teenagers do need some privacy, so it is important to allow them, um, you know, being realistic on, on that. But the important thing is not encouraging isolation. Um, which social media sites can they go on? What films, what programs, what should they do if they come across something that they feel uncomfortable with? Who pays? The world, the world in that is your oyster. And this is about making it work for you. And it's meant to be something that protects our children and all our family, keeps us safe, but it works for us. This is not just about making um, their world smaller. But those safety nets, so important, particularly at the younger end, they simply aren't enough. Because uh, we can put all the precautions, all the parameters in the world in place. But what about when they are on public Wi-Fi? What about when they're at school and another friend has a phone that doesn't have any protection on it? What, what about then? Unless we, as parents, equip our children to deal with these things themselves, they will only be as safe as the least protected friend that they have. Let's say that again. Unless we equip them to deal with these things themselves, they will only be as safe as the least protected friend uh, that they have. The truth is, 
God has given us the task, not of raising children, not of raising teenagers, but of raising adults. That's our task. Our job is to pass on wisdom, it's to pass on values in the context of family life. And as parents, we can be encouraged in this. There is so much research to tell us that our children want to know about this stuff from us at their parents. We really are the biggest influence on their lives. So how can we do this? First thing, keep communicating talking and listening. Our children generally don't involve, don't respond well to the big talk, the big sort of download, but this is little and often. We can comment maybe on adverts we see. We can comment on what they've seen um, at school. If we don't talk to them, they're going to get their information um, from someone else. And it is embarrassing talking to them about porn. It is awkward. Um, But frankly, embarrassment, I think, is a luxury we don't have in this area. If we don't talk to them little and often, um, it could look a little bit like this. Let's look at this clip from our Parent Talk course. The wonders of technology in a digital seminar. It's great, isn't it? We'll talk about taking time. Um, I'll just see if Caroline can get that. Um, so, oh, here we go. We got it. Well done. Listen, I've had... Listen, I've had the chat with her. Um, I think you ought to have the chat with him. Yeah, fine. Okay. Uh, no, no one's worry. <laughs> I've got it all under control. I know exactly what I'm going to say. <laughs> no. One, two, three. All right. <sighs> right. Well, uh, <clears throat> I've been meaning to talk to you now for some time about something really important. Uh, you know, really important. You know. No, you're right. Let's uh, let's uh, leave it, shall we? We're well, do it some other time. <laughs> yeah. Remember, I said we need to have that uh, important chat. Um, well, I think it's important that we have it now. You know, I think that's my phone ringing. Um, I'll speak to you later on. Um... Just do it, for goodness sakes. Okay, okay. <clears throat> so, um, you see, the thing I want to talk to you about is... Um, the thing I need to talk to you about... Look, Dad... Is there something you want to know about sex? (laughs) Well? Yeah, really good. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Or maybe not. It's so important that we take those opportunities to talk and uh, listen, finding out what they think, not maybe coming down with all the answers, listening to them. Uh, we can do that 
at mealtimes. We can take those little opportunities of everyday family life. Um, on the school run, bath time, bedtime when they're little teenagers, it will be the most inconvenient times, normally late at night. And incidentally, in the car is a brilliant time with teenagers. Little ones, you want to get their little faces, cup them in your hands, give them eye contact. Teenagers, that's the last thing they need. And they're much more likely to have a conversation, um, I've found, in the car when you haven't got eye contact, when they don't feel backed into a corner. In fact, even better, I would find, if I was giving a lift to one of ours and a friend and they were in the back, I think they'd forget that I was there. I think I'm an extension to the steering wheel or something. And you find out all sorts of things uh, from those conversations. So we can seize those everyday moments and we need to. And we need to be talking to our children about what healthy relationships look like. Um, there's a lovely, a lovely friend uh, who I spoke to last week. She'd read, the, read my book and she said, I've spoken to um, her son. She said, I've spoken to him about pornography. He's 13. She said, I re- she's so sweet. She does things as soon as you suggest them to her. She said, I've spoken to him about pornography. Um, he looked a bit embarrassed. And I said, have you ever seen porn? He said, well, I have, you know. And she said, I talked to him. Uh, about it and so I've done that and I said well done that is amazing not many parents do that that's really good and then she said I haven't actually talked to him about sex yet I think oh gosh (laughs) so maybe get that in the better order the important thing is to talk about healthy healthy relationships um we can seize those moments. The other thing we can do is make time. Sometimes in busy family lives, we need to make some time. And we found with ours, when they were little, that we got very little one-to-one time with them. And so we started something. One of us would take one of them out to Tesco's, the local supermarket, for breakfast on a Saturday morning. And uh, they could choose which one of us they wanted to go with. Well, this had been going on for a while, and I discovered that I didn't often get to go. In fact, hardly ever. And I think, particularly as mums, we're a bit more insecure than we would like to admit. And I thought, am I just not a fun mum? Why don't they want to go with me? So I asked them, and this is what I discovered. When I took them for breakfast, they had wholemeal toast and bananas and smoothies, that sort of thing. When Richard, my husband, took them, they seemed to be having chocolate eclairs, cheesy watsits, and Coca-Cola. Now, I had to realize in that moment, this was not about five a day. This isn't about healthy eating. This was about creating a space where we could chat, where they wanted to be there, and that was fun. And many times, we wouldn't talk about anything significant. But every now and then, we would have that incredible opportunity that goes so quickly just to be able to input into a conversation, to place a value, to sow a value in their lives um, from that time. And we often have to put in, we have to put in the quantity time very often in order to get those precious, precious moments. And it will be um, little by little. It's been said that values are more often caught Uh, than taught. We may think, I said before, we may think they're not listening to us. They don't miss a thing. We are role models, especially in the way we use technology. And it will be little by little. It will be through those conversations. It will be through them seeing the reality of faith in our lives and how we live authentically in the home. We will be sowing wisdom and values over time into their lives. And that will be what is the reference point for them um, in years to come when they have to be making those decisions themselves when we're not there at their shoulder. So our role as parents is really positive. 
instead of saying being naysayers, trying to limit their options, what we want to do is to equip them to use technology well. Uh, we want to equip them to use freedom well, training them from the inside out. And if you think about it, that's how God parents us. He wants us to be free, and he wants us to be free um, to choose well. The writer of the book of Proverbs says this about wisdom. Don't forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. That is what we want uh, for our children. Do you remember that online conversation that I shared with you earlier on? It's Alice in her bedroom. She's 13. Carl is in his bedroom. He's 15. Carl speaks first. He goes, hi, what's your name? Alice. Oh, hi, Alice. I've seen you in the bus. You're in the year below, aren't you? Yes. Alice, you're very pretty. Thank you. Alice, can you undo the top three buttons on your shirt? Alice's hand goes to her shirt and there's a long pause. But in that moment, she remembers. She remembers conversations that she's had with her mum and her dad. She's remembered the laughter. She's remembered the tears, the questions, the prayers. She remembers most of all that she has to prove herself to nobody. And in that moment, Alice hears herself say, no. That's what we're playing for. We're playing for that no. But more than that, we're equipping our children to make those wise choices in a world of technology and to make the most of all the incredible opportunities um, that technology has to offer, knowing that God, our Father, is watching over us and helping us, but more than that, watching over them and speaking their ident his identity over them. Shall we just close with um, a prayer? Father God, we thank you in this moment, we want to just bring before you each child that is represented um, in this tent. We want to represent uh, each one that's represented, each one that are our children, each those, each one of those that we that we love, and we want to bring them to you. Lord, thank you that you know them even more than we do. You love them with an everlasting love. You have plans and purposes for them. You've spoken identity into them. And Lord, we just ask you to help us in this all-important task of parenting. Help us to help each other. Help us to come to you, to bring our children to you. But most of all, help us to sow that God-given wisdom into their lives so that they are free and free to be the people that you made them to be, and free to make the most of all that the incredible um, uh, advantages of technology has to offer. And so we pray, Father God, that each of our children would know how long, how wide, how high, and how deep your amazing love for them is. And that we too would know that love that surpasses knowledge, and that you would fill each one of us to the measure of all the fullness of God. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. And we say together, Amen.